0: I, I have people that actually pray for me while I preach, and none of them are here this morning so if, if I can just have a couple volunteers that would be willing to as God brings it to mind to pray for me as i 'm as i 'm teaching this morning, that would be great uh, you don 't have to raise yep, Jared, thank you you can raise your hand or not, but thank you dave um, that would it benefits me greatly so you know in Israel, there is no higher office than office of priest. not even the king the king yeah, he had some He had some pull, but it was the priesthood that really had uh, the pull of the people. They were responsible for kind of mediating the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God to God's people. They were called to preserve the traditions of God. Not just, not just so they could have traditions and not just for the sake of doing something or, or doing things, but they were called to preserve the sacredness and the holiness of the traditions of God so that for all generations to come, people would know the glory and the love and the power of God. And they would teach people how to be reverence. They would teach people the awe of the Lord. They were taught, they they were called to teach the very words of God. Teaching people how to obey God's words and God's commands. And they were to teach from a prophetic like place because they were walking so intimately with the Lord That their words were almost prophetic because they can hear and they can understand because their relationship with God was very, very close and very, very tight. This is how they were called to teach. The relationship was so intimate that the glory of the Lord would reflect from inside of them, outside to the people. And they would learn, the people would learn what it is to walk humbly and in harmony and rhythm with the Lord their God. This is what the priests were called to do. First Peter chapter 2. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. The church who is made up of us, people. We are the church. And we are being built. We are being built up. And so there's this idea that there's a a process taking place in our lives, a continual process. And we are being built into a spiritual house, a temple, a place of holiness through Jesus Christ. And the, the building isn't necessarily on the outside anymore. It's, it's on the inside. See, God, does no, God no longer resides in a place of brick and mortar and cedar and walls and glass. God lives in His people. Those who profess and believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is now indwelling inside of you. Lives in your heart. Should be living in your mind. Living in your very soul. And, it's, and he lives there. And he resides there for a purpose. Because we are being built. We are being called to the priesthood. The priesthood of the saints. The priesthood of believers. Unified in our common call that God has on our lives. Called to a place not of just individual holiness, but a community, a communal holiness. That we would offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That we we are called to minister in the sanctuary. To teach people uh, the word of God and the knowledge of the Lord. That our lives as we live this calling as priests, our lives would teach people what it means to walk with the Lord our God. And the sacrifices now we are called to give are no longer animals, but ourselves. Paul would write in chapter 12, I urge you, my brothers and my sisters, that in view of God's mercy... You would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. You know, the book of Malachi, as we've been working through, it's a, a book of rebuke and renewal. It's a book of spanking, and it's not going to be this way forever. And last week, we focused on the first couple of verses where we really engaged Where God says, I have loved you and I love you still. We kind of wrestled with that and how sometimes it doesn't quite feel that way and other times it does. But it doesn't matter what we're feeling or what we're experiencing. God loves us no matter what. And that's that's the gospel. And he expresses this love. And and he said in the verses in Malachi last week that, that haven't I loved Jacob? And he expresses that love through doing things for his people. Back then it was, it was uh, winning battles and, and, and just bringing them to victory and blessing their land and blessing the work of their hands. And ultimately for us, his expression of love came through Jesus Christ. That he would give his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. He gave us the way back to himself. He opened up the gate. He showed us the road, and he empowers us to travel it. He's given us a way of reconciliation, of redemption, to be justified. And so, you might be thinking, all this love, why do we need any rebuke? It's a good question. That's exactly why we have the rebuke. God loves us. And you've heard me say over and over again God loves us just the way that we are. But He loves us so much that He's not going to let us stay there. He's always going to be moving and guiding, dare I say, spanking us a little bit into Christ likeness. That's His plan for us that we would be built into a spiritual house, the priesthood. You see, God has promises. That he is going to keep, keep. And he continues to march through history. From the very beginning to the present into the future. And he's continually moving everything to achieve his goal of his kingdom here on earth. And so his love is constant. But sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's, it's downright hard. The love of God. But he is continually shaping He's continually turning and subverting and fostering human events and human lives to get to his ultimate goal, and he will get to it. So now let's look into our text this morning from Malachi. Malachi, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Uh Uh-oh. Guess who God is talking to? The priests. And if God is talking to the priests, that means that we have to take notice because we are being built into the priesthood. And the central charge that is brought against them is they have despised the name of the Lord. And they get all arrogant and kind of like, yeah, well, how have we despised your name? They don't even see it. How have we despised your name? See, the priesthood here with Malachi, they have have an attitude problem. They have a heart problem. And and I have to think, does arrogance harden a heart or does a hardened heart produce even more arrogance? And I guess I've come to the conclusion that the answer is yes and yes. But no matter what side of the equation you fall on, the priesthood are arrogant and have a hardened heart. And they're having trouble confessing their sin. They don't even see it. How have we defiled your name? Come on, God, show us. It's almost like they can't even look. It's almost like they they don't even care to look at their sinfulness. And their sinfulness is not from a place of ignorance. They know what is expected of them. They know what the Lord their God has called them to. But their sin is from a place of indifference. They just don't care. They don't care what God has called them to. They don't care what God is requiring of them. They just don't care. They're offering sick, lame, blind animals to the Lord as a sacrifice, and that is not what God commands or desires. He wants the best from what the bless of the blessings that he gives his people. The animals that they are offering are. Are worthless. And I love what the Lord says, yeah? So try try giving those to your governors. Go ahead. Try giving it to somebody else. And, and and the way it's kind of worded here, there's this spiritual sarcasm. And this just confirms in me that sarcasm is a gift of the Spirit, and that I have been blessed in abundance with it. <laughs> but he says, Go ahead, you priests. Take the animals, give them to the governor, see what happens, see what he says, see what he does. No one in their right mind would take take sick, lame, junky animals and give them to the governor because they would be in fear of being punished, beaten, possibly imprisoned, at bare minimum made a fool of in front of the entire community. And so how much more crazy is it to bring those gifts to the Lord? Worthless, dying animals. There's a, a story in Second Samuel. And the prophet says to King David, he says, David, I want you to go to this guy's threshing floor. And I'm not threshing floor. I want you to build an, offer, an, offer, an, an altar and offer sacrifices. And so David goes, okay, I can do that. And so David heads out. And the guy sees David come and he says, yo, Dave, what's up? And David says, I've been instructed to come and and, uh, build an altar on your threshing floor. And the guy just bows down before the king and he says, take it. Take the threshing floor. I'll give you animals. I'll give you animals to sacrifice. Just take whatever it is that you need. And David says, no. David says, I insist paying for it because i will not sacrifice to the lord my god burnt offerings that cost me nothing and so david pays for what he takes and so church this is where it's going to get difficult for us this morning this is the hard truth of the matter We are called to offer ourselves as sacrifices before the Lord, our lives. And as we walk as priests, as as we walk as the example, it should cost us something. It should cost us something in our time and in our money, in our resources, in our physical and our emotional strength. It should cost us something. And this is where it even got more convicting for me with a simple question. Are we, do we offer to the Lord that which costs us nothing? You know, when we have time, we will serve. But we're, we're a pretty busy culture. We're a pretty busy society. And we got a lot, a lot of stuff going on. But if it can fit into our schedules, We're willing to serve. We're willing to serve the Lord, as long as the calendar kind of is is open. But my question: How many of us? How many of us have ever canceled plans, significant plans, so that we can go and serve for the glory of God in His kingdom? You know, I wrestled with that question as a pastor, as as a just a, a guy. It doesn't happen all that often. Significant plans don't get canceled to serve the Lord. It seems like sometimes we serve when we squeeze it in. Let me give you another rhetorical type of question. September 15th it's coming up. We're having our Outside the Walls event where we're going to famine as a community. That means we're not going to eat. And then on that Saturday, we're all going to hopefully go out and find service projects and serve the communities at large, serve people. How many of you have marked that day on your calendar already? Rhetorical. Don't have to raise your hand. But I thought about it, and I bet if we, if we were going to the Big E that day, it'd be on the calendar already. If we were going to somebody's picnic or we had a birthday party or we had friends that that were coming in for dinner, I bet you'd be on the calendar already. But why not an opportunity to serve outside of these walls and serve people and bless people just because they're people? Could it be that somewhere in our subconscious mind, or maybe we're not even thinking about it, that thinking about it, that we're all for September 15th, but somewhere in us, we want to keep that day open just in case something comes up? Are we offering to God something that costs us nothing? Let me give you another example. When do we give away clothes to charity, our clothes? Say, Acts 4, places like that. It usually happens for for me, for many of us, um, when either I have too many clothes and, you know, I just want to get rid of some. Or maybe I've grown out of my clothes. You know, I'm getting a little, you know, working out. I'm getting a little, you know. Bigger, you know, some of the t-shirts don't fit, so I give those, I give those away. Or my clothes have worn out and I have to go out and I have to buy myself some new clothes and then I might as well get rid of the older ones. But how many of us have actually gone out and purchased new clothes to give away to the charity and kept the old ones for yourself? Are we offering to God that which costs? We are called to be the example. We are called to be the priesthood. We are called to teach people by the way, ways in which we live our lives. How often are we offering to God that which costs us nothing? I guess the examples can go on and on and on, but we're not going to. The Lord, our God, reveals himself in our our hearts and in our minds and in our very souls as as king, as the Lord of lords, the king of glory. He reveals himself to us as our father, the one that has created us and the one that has given us Jesus Christ so that we can know redemption and that we can have eternal life. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to live the life that he calls us, so that the Spirit can act as a guide for us. God deserves our best every day. God deserves our all. And so when we as a church fail to to speak the gospel, let me say it this way, as if we as a church fail to live the gospel, when we present our blemished gifts before the Lord, when we put coins in that don't really cost us anything, when we give the time that's left over in our busy schedule to begrudgingly use the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given us, are we giving to the Lord that which costs us nothing and guess what? If we are the example, the world sees our example. And within that attitude of our hearts, worship becomes this tiresome, weary duty that we have to perform. Let's look what the text goes on to say. Can you advance the slide, Jared? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets, and every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. But what the Lord says right off in the beginning, saying to his priests, saying to his people, do you, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying this. I wish you would just shut the doors of the church. Close the doors. Don't bring me your worthless, what's left over sacrifice. I'd rather just, just close the door. Too many of us. Too many of us. And I'm included. We go through the motions. Too many of us come to church on Sunday because that's what we do. You go to church on Sunday. It's our kind of our token day to the Lord. But yet we live our life every day like there is no difference, that the Lord has made no difference in our life. Too many of us just go through the motions on Sunday with no pull or conviction in our hearts the rest of the days, Too many of us show up And the power of the Holy Spirit is just not evident in our lives. And God says, if that's you, if that's you, don't bother. And if that's the community, if that's the way the community is acting, close the doors. Just shut them down. Ouch. As a pastor, ouch. That. Scares me. See if the next slide will come up. Yes. And the Lord will continue and he will say, but you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously says the Lord almighty. When you bring injured, lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hand? Says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So it's taking place in this last part of our text this morning. God God is bringing people to account. The priests see their... as boring, as just kind of lame. They're really not too excited about doing it. They're just going through the motions instead of seeing it as this holy, sacred privilege that the Lord their God has given to them. And they've actually kind of snubbed their noses at God, like, whatever, whatever God. In fact, during this time, People would ask them to do something as priests, and they would want their money up front. They would want their payment up front. I ain't doing that until you pay me. You see, they're just going through their motions, their words, and their actions, but their hearts are far from the Lord their God. And God is calling them out, man, calling them out. They have, a lot, they have sacrificed worthless animals on the altar of God and they have allowed the people to bring those worthless animals and they offered those sacrifices. They are condoning indifference. They are condoning just who cares about what God calls us to. We're just going through the motions because we have to. And we always have done it this way. So let's just bring it and forget about it. And then, then there's this Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. I added the unto you because that's cool. But so, so what God is saying is cursed is a person who says one thing and does something else. Cursed is the person who has something that he's willing at first that is going to cost him and he's going to bring it to God for a sacrifice. But then he just changes his mind and he just gives God what's left over. Cursed is that person. How many times have have we done that? Like, we commit to, say, tithing to the Lord, but every once in a while, you know, we cheat God out of a little here and there. I mean, it is the summer, and it's vacation. We need a little extra spending money. How many times have somebody asked you to pray for them, or for a specific situation, and man, you just never got around to it? You said you would, but, you know, how many times have we made commitments before God? Made commitments to a ministry, made commitments to the church, and then kind of just half-heartedly fulfilled them, or maybe just did what we said we were going to do when it was convenient The Lord says, cursed is that person. I really wrestle with that word, cursed, because that kind of scares me. I don't like when God says, cursed. Okay, I don't want to be cursed. And I had to really think about what what cursed would mean for those of us with the grace and the mercy of God. What what, what does cursed actually mean? And as I thought and as, as I wrestled through it, maybe it's just getting what we deserve. Maybe it's just getting what we have actually created. Maybe it's just getting the world in which we live in right now. Evangelical church world, we love to blame, especially now, like in in this election year, we love to blame the politicians for how our country is just veering off the course of what God would have for us we're getting farther and farther away from God. We like to blame legislation and laws for the moral and ethical failures of the world, of the country. We blame those people. We blame that group. We blame that legislation. Instead of blaming them, maybe we need to take a good, long, hard look at the priesthood. Maybe we need to look at ourselves. You know, the people called to preserve the holiness and the sacredness of the traditions of God, called to teach from a prophetic-like communion with the Lord because we our walk with him is deep and intimate, and we just could hear what he's telling us. Those that are called to live their lives as an example To all people. Maybe instead of looking at them, we need to look at us. I know that maybe this morning uh, you're not going to leave here feeling all grins and giggles. I think maybe for some of you this morning, this teaching may have been a little bit difficult. And for those of you that it wasn't too hard, you just weren't listening. Because it seems in such a stark contrast from what we heard last week. The love, the and grace, and the amazing abundance of God's love. And how can a God that loves us so much last week bring it this week? I mean, does he really still love us? And the answer to that is yes. Absolutely yes. Because if he were to leave us alone, that means he would no longer love us. If he were to abandon us to our sin, it would mean that we have fallen from his grace and his mercy. You see, our highest calling, our highest good is to walk obediently with the Lord our God for the purpose that we would have life and have it in abundance that's that's our ultimate good in our lives and if god ever gave up on that purpose and just left us as we are it means that he's abandoned us to our own evil desire inclination to our own evil selves and he no longer cares Malachi is a book of rebuke and renewal. And I think as the church, we have to take the rebuke very, very seriously. But know this, and this is what the Lord your God says to you this morning. I have loved you and I still